Don't you just love it when you can confidently say that someone has your back? Hi, Dave Lee here, and that's the feeling I have with UCARE. Anytime I call them up with a Medicare question, I know without a doubt that a real person will answer, and they will work through my issues no matter how long it takes, and they won't hang up until I completely understand what's going on. Their people and customer service are second to none, and it's why UCARE has people-powered health plans. Don't hesitate to reach out to UCARE for help. Learn more at UCARE.org slash Medicare. This paid endorsement brought to you by UCARE. Today, on my first concert. So I had it in my satchel and I was on the flight from Los Angeles, Toronto, and I got to Canadian Customs and they said, Do you have anything to declare? And I said, Well, I have some cash. And they said, What's that for? I said, Well, it's for promoter of all of Canada for the Sugar Ray Roberto Duran fight. And he looked me in the eye and he opened my passport and he's stamped it and said, welcome to Canada. (laughs) Welcome back to my first concert. Dave Lee here along with our producer, Davide Razo. I'm very excited to talk about a Minnesota music icon that you may know, Rand Levy. He's been a promoter of many shows. We Fest is one that might come to mind. There's many others, though. Lilith Fair. He's going to join us here in just a second. On today's episode, brought to you by the Minnesota Propane Association, by UCARE, by the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, by StarBank.net, and also by Aquarius Home Services from the AquariusHomeServices.com studio. Uh, Rand, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Well, hi, Dave. And uh, uh, it should be fun. I'm glad to visit. Well, uh, for a guy that's spent his life involved in music and all sorts of big acts, and you've dealt with a lot of uh, uh, big acts through the years, Santana and U2 and many others. But for you, Rand, what was the first concert you ever went to? Well, the first concert I ever went to probably was the Beatles because I was working at uh, Met Stadium as an usher, and I was uh, assigned a location, probably 15 years old, I was assigned a location kind of in the bowels of the building, and I was pretty naive, and I looked up and I saw the four Beatles walking by on the exact other side of the fence, the chain link fence I was on, walking to the stage. And I immediately abandoned my position and went upstairs and watched the show. <laughs> and then what happened? You know, my memory is just uh, back then, you, you may know what sheer columns are, you know, those long sound columns they used to have for almost every band. Well, the band was on second base. What looked to me was just a series of, of loudspeakers at second base. You know, there was no delay system or you know, any of the things we would have. There was no giant bass speakers and mids and highs. And the crowd was just screaming. So you really only hear the first chord or two of the, of you know, I want to hold your hand or whatever song it would be. Um, and I think if I recall, it was 35 or 40 minutes maybe. And that was the Beatles concert. Um, you know, strange, but long ago memory. Uh, I think the first concert I really attended is I went down to the, what was the old Minneapolis Armory and now the Armory. And I saw the Icantina Turner review. Wow. And what do you remember about that? That had to be memorable, I would think. That was a pretty diverse audience, and I was the minority. The uh, Back to the Beatles, when you went back to school, were you like the coolest kid in school? You had gone to the Beatles concert? i got to believe a lot of people would have thought that that was pretty neat. I, you know, it, I, I didn't even think of it that way. It was, you know, I, I, 
that same year, if I recall, the Twins had gone to the World Series or were going. I can't remember when. Yeah, that's right. And it was just, uh, you know, I was an usher at the ballpark, and I eventually, the next three years after that, sold souvenirs, you know, pennants and different Twins uh, paraphernalia. And uh, it was a wonderful job for me because I, you know, would go work the 10-day homestand and then go hang out at the beach or try to continue my um, miserable golf career and, and uh, <laughs> uh, just was able to enjoy summer 10 days on and 10 days off generally. Yeah. Well, that's the way to do it. Man, the Beatles first out of the shoot, though. That had to, that's, uh, you know, people still talk about that concert and, and, and of course it's become legendary and um, not, I don't know how many You know, people, it's right? funny, it, it, in comparison, I would say the Ike and Tina Turner show was a, just a tremendous impact for me because, you know, I was raised in St. Louis Park. It was a pretty, pretty vanilla community. Uh, and then and to go see this incredible, you know, soul review, R&B review. Uh, and it was just, what do you say? It's eye-opening. You know, you're at an age and you realize there's a lot more around the corner than what you thought in your block. Rand, uh, a lot of things have happened to your career. When we come back, I want to visit with you about WeFest and that whole concept and how that whole thing turned out. You were involved in that. He is Rand Levy. A lot of you know him, a longtime veteran of the promotion industry in the Minneapolis-St. Paul entertain market for uh, sure, entertainment market for sure. It's uh, We'll talk more about that WeFest experience and how that started back in the 80s with Rand here in just a second. I want to talk about a Minnesota bank that's bringing you the show, and I hope you... I'll recognize uh, the next time you need a bank that you think about Star Bank. Uh, Ten locations here in Minnesota. They started in Minnesota. They've stayed here. The same family is running that uh, bank. And as I mentioned, the expansion includes the Twin Cities Metro, too, right now. But uh, they started out in rural Minnesota years ago, and they run it um, that same friendly small-town way, which is really cool. If you go into the bank, which I've done right here in Eden Prairie, uh, they treat you like it's a small town bank. They get to know you when you call them. They answer the phone, which might throw you for a loop this day and age. It's not a recording. Uh, they keep it very comfortable. Plus, if it's high tech, they do all of that stuff, too. If you want to do it on your phone or on your computer, like a lot of us like to do, they just make it convenient. And by the way, when it comes to loans, uh, red tape, very little. You'll find out about your loan pretty quickly. They turn it around. I'm very proud of how fast they can turn it around with Star Bank. Really second to none. So they're good. I don't know what that loan might be, if it's an RV, if it's a home loan, whatever, business loan. But it's really kind of how banking should be. Okay, they kinda, they're kind of they the prototype, I think. So I'd call your local Star Bank today. They'll answer or stop in. They'll get to know you. Just one time in, they'll know who you are. Loans are subject to loan application approval. Starbank.net. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Uh, Rand, let's talk about WeFest. How did that whole concept start? Well, before we start, I was just thinking, I wonder if concert tickets are more or less expensive than an RV loan from Starbank. <laughs> yeah, they've kind of, you've seen that from the start. I don't know what those Beatles tickets sold for back in the day, but I can't imagine what it would be now. I mean, just thinking, you worked with U2, those those concert tickets to see them down in Vegas now at that sphere are unbelievable. unbelievable. But people are filling it up. Yeah, well, you know, of course, there's a tremendous amount more of technological entertainment value. But uh, it's funny because I was, you know, people often say, how did you get started in the business? And 
we can come to that story, but I was looking back at some old posters of four fifty and five dollar and five fifty tickets at the old St. Paul Arena. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and and you know what? When you're a kid, that seemed expensive back then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A five dollar bill was a twenty and a twenty is a hundred now, you know. So we fest. Uh, I mean, that turned into a, a marvelous experience for many people. Became uh, legendary. How did how did that begin? That idea up in Detroit Lakes. Uh, well, the background is uh, by by the mid nineteen eighties. I was promoting a lot of concerts. Uh, we fest started in nineteen eighty three, and I was not involved from the beginning. Uh, the Jeff Krieger, who lives still lives up in Detroit Lake, uh, you know, came up with the idea. And uh, the first couple of years, I think they had some hard sledding um, and were, well, they were, they were pretty much, pretty much broke. They had made every possible mistake you could make to get started, but their intentions were good. Uh, and so in 1985, I got involved um, and I was part of the ownership management team for 30 years. How do you make something like that work? That big with the big stars you brought in in Detroit Lakes. I mean, location wise, you have to travel a little bit to get there. Well, when Jeff started it, you know, he actually uh, brought Alabama in, who were, of course, a huge act in, yeah. you know, in the 1980s. And uh, nobody believed they would come. And he tells me the story in 1983 where he actually begged the band to get on their bus and drive up and down Lake, Lake Detroit Lakes Drive so everybody knew the band was in town. Uh, by 1985, uh, they were established, but WeFest was maybe 8,000 people a day. And uh, I sold WeFest in 2014, and we used to do 45,000 people a day, and maybe 25,000 of those were actually camping. So the growth was the, the growth was wonderful, and it was, of course, 30 years of my life. Uh, but I think it happens, my experience with lots of different festivals I've been involved with, is uh, you really build it one year at a time, uh, you know, safety, fun, great lineups, you know, try to keep building on what you do uh, at, at the show. You know, <laughs> strangely enough, whether it's adding bathrooms in a campground or just simply improving the entire, you know, sound and light and stage experience, People notice the changes, and they they believe in your festival, and they want to keep coming back and participate. It's fun. Was there a prototype you worked off of, or was WeFest a prototype? Well, my background by then had been really rock and roll shows. Uh, that's not to say I didn't enjoy doing a Frank Sinatra show at the Met Center or eventually Bette Midler or, you know, or even some, uh, you know, off-Broadway runs or, you know, some, some sports um, uh, closed circuit, you know, uh, stuff. Uh, you know, we used to do a lot of the old boxing matches with Sugar Ray, you know, Muhammad Ali, the big fights, Ken Norton, whatnot. But uh, so the very first thing I did with WeFest is, uh, I always really admired Bill Graham. I loved me, Beanie Bill Graham. It was a significant person in my life in terms of how I aimed my own career. And uh, you may or may not remember the old Oakland Coliseum shows they used yeah. to do out there, but they would build a stage. And then left and right of the stage, they would build a tremendous 
um, I guess you'd call it a backdrop, you know, maybe 30 feet high by 50 feet wide or 60 or 70 feet wide so that your view from the audience was not only the 60 or 70 foot wide staging area, but the additional, you know, maybe 75 feet on each side, you know, a panorama of the stage experience. So it was almost the very first thing we brought into WeFest was to make it from an audience point of view, a wow moment when you, when you came into the arena. Um, my old partner up there, Terry McCloskey, and maybe rest in peace, um, uh, made us, he put on the, uh, oh gosh, uh, the, uh, the uh, space in it out, the music, uh, you'll have to cut us up here a little bit, the music of, um, Oh, people used to enter to the William Tell Overture. It was exciting to enter the Wee Fest and see the festival grounds. And uh, uh, people would rush in and set up their chairs. And, you know, it was exciting to come into the festival grounds. Did you get to know Bill Graham personally? Yeah, uh, he was doing an interview. And I'm sorry, I cannot remember the, the year and the date. No. Uh, at KQRS Radio, when KQ was, you know, the very hipster underground station. I think he was in town probably promoting um, one of his larger charitable events he was doing around the world. And I literally got in my car and drove out to KQ and waited in the parking lot <clears throat> until he came out and introduced myself. And it was fortuitous. Uh, he managed Santana at the time, but of course he also was doing Rolling Stone tours. And I remember over time doing my very first Rolling Stone show as a local promoter with for Bill Graham. And I also remember going out to his 50th birthday party. Um, as just, you know, we had done Santana and the Rolling Stones and uh, his other acts. And I uh, was kind of in the in crowd there. So it was, again, part of my life, but awfully fun to do. Yeah, that had to be an A-list of musicians, I would think. I think he was pretty surprised to see me in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> wow, though, what a career Bill Graham. Yeah, I mean, in fact, Rand, when you go into a record store now, you can still buy the old Bill Graham posters for Fillmore East and Fillmore West and the bands that were playing. Yes, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, they had, you may or may not remember, they used to store them all. They had this horrible fire. Uh, no, I don't think anybody died yeah. or anything, but where they lost so much of the memorabilia and it's funny i when i was a kid i used to sell souvenirs at the gopher games and of course at the quinn's games and um i never really thought a lot about merchandise you know especially look at what it's become in terms of you know the rock and roll business but it occurred to me i don't know sometime in the 70s you know the bands used to write their song list just on a sheet of paper you know uh, even kind of before portable computers, if you will. And I remember seeing some just crazy, you know, heavy metal song lists uh, on strips of paper. And I always thought to myself, gosh, wouldn't it have been amazing to uh, have the band sign those, you know, what date they were in St. Paul and, you know, as, as, a, as a wonderful piece of memorabilia. But uh, those are hindsight. Yeah, well, you, you worked with a lot of great ones. In fact, we'll ask you how the whole thing started here when we come back in just a second. He is Rand Levy, a longtime veteran of the music business and a, a real part of the Minnesota music scene. 
Uh, and he's kind enough to join us today. Much more on that in just a minute. I do want to ask you if you're feeling a little overwhelmed right now by that growing to-do list you got over at your house and a shaking schedule. Uh, you might be spending a little more time stressing over household repairs and actually enjoying your life. And you're not alone on that. And Aquarius Home Services has your back. And I've been a friend of Jeff's. I, I remember when he started the business oh, well over two decades ago. And we remain friends to this day. They are your trusted local. Let us tackle your to-do list team. That's basically how I would sum it up. Aquarius Home Services is, is there to assist you. Whether it's electrical work or plumbing, giving you trouble, you choose the service, they're going to handle the fix and take $98 off that repair cost. That's right, so for any plumbing or electrical repair, they're slashing $98 on the price. So watch the old to-do list shrink while you reclaim your time. No more worrying about flickering lights or leaky pipes. They're dedicated professionals, really respect your home and your time, and I've seen it time and time again. I just had them come out and do another furnace tune-up. I like to do that every year before it starts getting too cold. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended as well. So I'd just go to their website, find out the reviews are fantastic, and they're only a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Randall, how did it all start for you? I mean, how, how did this uh, the promotion business get in your blood? Uh, well, the background... Uh, I guess in a way it starts with my dad. My dad was a professional athlete in Minnesota. He was also heavyweight champion at the University of NCAA champion at the University of Minnesota and All-American in football. But he eventually went on to play some professional football and became a professional wrestler and television announcer. So I, I would see that aspect of the entertainment business. I can't say that it infected me, but I definitely saw it. But in the, in the later 60s, uh, I was in the Army Reserve, and I will confess, we were doing whatever we could to try to not go to Vietnam. Uh, and I met my original partner, Jim Peterson, uh, there. And uh, uh, Jim eventually and still does own the Minnesota Renaissance Fair and, and actually three or four other fairs, Detroit, Kansas City, St. Louis, and, and even uh, Tampa, St. Pete. And uh, he was my partner for years and years and years. And we started, I started booking um, high school bands. Uh, I, would, I would go visit, um, in the late 60s, things were pretty crazy. And we would, we, I'd go visit high school principals and ask about you know, whether I could book their high school band. And of course, these were budgets of, uh, for $200 for homecoming or $250 or $300. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but I would send a chaperone with the band so that the principal didn't have to deal with those crazy musicians. <laughs> and with, with, the, with the bands, I would say, you can have the uh, Annandale Homecoming, but you've got to learn Color My World by Chicago because that's what they want to dance to. So <laughs> it just starts, starts in one spot. Eventually it was colleges and fraternities. And back then people asking me about... Um, whether I could get John Denver for $1,500 to play or the grassroots. And uh, I eventually uh, started booking some uh, hard, I'll just say harder rock bands. But uh, you may remember, I don't know, did you grow up in Minneapolis or uh, the university yeah. area? There was a, yeah, part, the well, store called the Positively. Yep. Yeah. Well, Positively 4th Street was the on campus, you know, hipster record store head shop uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know tie-dye paraphernalia 
we we would uh, it was in the earlier seventies, and uh, I had an agent call me from New York who said we really are looking for somebody to handle all of our younger bands, the $500 bands and the $1,000 bands, whether that's Foghat or Bruce Springsteen or Journey or Ario Speedwagon or Blue Oyster Cult or uh, even Ozzy Osbourne after Black Sabbath days, Jay Giles Band, Edgar Winter Band, Johnny Winter Band. You know, the, the list was all of the young bands that I eventually started promoting. But I didn't have any money, and I worked with the positively four street guys and uh they had this network of course of all the other head shops and we could communicate that way and stations like kqrs were speaking quotes to the underground if you will and uh, we worked together and they were i was a buyer and they were a promoter and then uh on one show we had sold out the jay giles band and jay giles was a wonderful boston rock and roll band, just a wonderful stage band, kind of, you know, in a different way, reminded me of the old Ipatine and Turner shows. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the road manager's name was John. And through the years, John has represented for Woody Allen in some of his films, like the archetype Italian. And he came up and said to me, uh, hey, Randy, good to see you again. And I'm glad you're sold out. Of course, I had done the band at the old St. Paul Theater and, you know, had nurtured them along. And he said, when can we get paid? And I said, well, you know, our backer, Dining Al, uh, is out, you know, back then, everything was hard tickets. So you go to all the different outlets and collect your money and collect the remaining tickets and get it all balanced so you could pay the band their share. And at five o'clock, he came back and said, you know, can we get paid? And I kind of went to my positive and four street friends and I said, where's Al? I said, well, we got a problem. Al got busted. I said, what do you mean you got busted? <laughs> and he said, well, didn't you know that Al also sold a little bit of cannabis? I said, well, no, I, I didn't know that. And which, of course, I am that naive. Uh, well, Al got busted collecting the ticket money. And of course, I'm sure the police thought it was cannabis money. Uh, so I had no money to pay the band. And uh, at the end of the day, kind of what, what makes one stand is those moments. And I went up to John Domanian and I said, John, I got a problem. I explained the problem to me and he, he looked me right in the eye and he said, uh, Randy, do you know who the manager of the band is? And I said, yeah, the manager of the band is from New York. And he said, and you know who the agent is? I said, yeah, and agent's from New York. And he just almost pointed right at my nose. And he said, you know, Randy, we get paid, right? And I said, John, I know you get paid, but tonight you've got to take the check. So are you going on or not? And then we'll go to the bank tomorrow and figure this out. And he just said, you got it. We're going for it. And that put me in the promotion business. Well, put Jim Peterson and I in the promotion business. And just to slightly extend that story, we had still on the books a new Riders of the Purple Sage show at the theater, and it did okay. And then amazingly, we had a show with an English band called Slade. Oh, I saw Slade, uh, never yeah. Was, yeah, never huge here, but really fun. 
the undercard was James Gang with a guy named Joe Walsh. Uh, Brownsville Station coming off of a hit of uh, Smoking in the Boys' Room. And a $500 unknown band called the Charlie Daniels Band, which in my career, of course, went on to many, many, many sellouts of uh, different arenas. And the show was in the old St. Paul Auditorium, and it sold out. And Jim and I made our money back. And uh, you have a career. You go from there. You, you just keep it going. So I've had plenty of highs and, believe me, plenty of lows. But, uh, you know, here we are a lifetime later. Yeah. When we come back, I want to ask you about Lilith Fair, which is also a groundbreaking event here in the Twin Cities. Rand Levy is joining us here on my first concert. Dave Lee here along with Davide. And our uh, thanks to the folks out at the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters for making it all possible as well. Speaking of entertainment, a lot of things going on out there. Right now, Michael Brindisi, the creative director, has a spectacular version of the Jersey Boys, which is about the uh, four seasons, obviously. With the music is, stands for itself, but speaks for itself, sings for itself. But Michael has put together just a wonderful um, jukebox musical, I guess you could call it. And this is one of his passions growing up in Philadelphia and singing under the streetlights. Uh, Jersey Boys hits home for him. So, man, I tell you what, if you don't, if you, I'd get out there while it's still available because it's, it, the sales on it are great. I was just out the other night, as a matter of fact. Place was packed. Uh, food is great. Performance is dynamite. And the Chan Hassan's a gem of a place. By the way, during the holidays, I guess it's a great time to mention the Chan Hassan Dinner Theater gift certificates. Now, I also zipped over and watched a little bit of the band over in the Chan Hassan Concert Theater over there, which has wonderful acoustics. It, it, it's displaying some of the great Minnesota talent we have here, and the, that night was no exception. I saw my old friend Pamela McNeil out on stage and many others, and I hope that you get a chance to get out there and see some of the concerts. By the way, our friend Mick Sterling has a couple of real special shows, not only here in the holiday season, but then if we get into the New Year's, got a spectacular show coming up as well. So, And we'll talk with Mick uh, in uh, the upcoming podcast here in the next week or so. Uh, about that. But go to ChanhassenDT.com and they got the Stevie Ray Comedy Club there. It's just great. We were out there. It was last week's matter of fact and just had an awesome time. ChanhassenDT.com Rand Levy is a longtime veteran of the promotion industry, Minneapolis-St. Paul entertainment market uh, with a great career, great history. The Lilith Fair, Rand, was really got a lot of attention and it was very novel. It was all female music artists and you were involved in that, weren't you? I was, but I got to back up uh, one second. Mick Sterling is great. He puts together some wonderful, wonderful reviews. Uh, again, really soulful reviews. It's cool that you uh, you mentioned him and that he's appearing out there in Chanhassen. Uh, yes, the so transition. Lilith was, uh, we did it. We should promote Sarah McLaughlin on a regular basis. And then she created the idea. Uh, you know, it's funny because uh, we were involved with the Warp Tour, you know, a different concept. But that ran for 22 or 23 years that it kept coming back to the Minneapolis-St. Paul market. But Lilith was just this incredible lightning in a bottle. And for three years, we'd go out to Canterbury and, and present the show on the main racetrack field, if you will. And if I recall, it was twenty-eight to 30,000 people each time. And uh, they were always knocked out because they had played a lot of amphitheaters and a lot of, uh, you know, sm not smaller, but uh, more 
controlled, if you will, venues. And here was this giant open field uh, out at Canterbury. And uh, those were just wonderful, wonderful shows and tremendous break for so much of the talent to be on those tours. You, you learn about so many of the, of the other acts that were out there at the time. Of all of these shows that you've been involved with in, uh, through the years, what are among the most memorable? Oh, I don't know. You know, I, I tell people the joy of my career is that what I do is I'm a part of other people's memories. You know, when you put on a show and you produce a show and you do what you can to make sure that it's safe and that it's fun, you know, the artists ultimately are making sure that it's their memories. I just like being part of the, I don't know, what can you say, the business of of doing it, uh, even now where we promote the Glow Holiday Festival in St. Paul. Well, there's no bands, there's no managers, and there's no agents, so that's kind of a joy sometimes. <laughs> but in the same breath, in the same breath, uh, you know, it's 30 semi-trailers of sound and lights, and, and you want that experience, you know, in this case, we're producing more of that experience. You want that experience to be something where the like we fest where they say that was really good i want let's do it again next year so when i look back certainly producing prince's one-year memorial concert um after his passing was significant there was uh just being able to take it from the ground up and you know rehearse the band that me rehearsing the band making it all available so the band could rehearse and and of course weaving in all the different talent from that show that was unusual for me because there was it was it was us putting it together. The when I look way back, as I mentioned, the very first time I did the Rolling Stones, you know, I was a young man, young kid, young guy, and Rolling Stones were a pretty cool act. And so you you try not to have your you know the last the worst word for a promoter is to be too proudful. Uh, you just got to do your job and not get caught up in the moment. Um, but as I look back, even, you know, what do I know about as a younger guy about Frank Sinatra? But I sure am, I sure am glad to look back that it was, you know, I forget how many times we did it one or two or three times places like the Met Center, you know, or, or any of these star attractions. Those are also the memories of my life. They're, you know, I was part of the memories of everybody else, but, uh, certainly some of the memories of myself. Yeah, Genesis, I mentioned earlier, um, you two. You know what's interesting, though, uh, and the younger generation it just isn't familiar with it, but you and I are, and many others. When you mentioned the closed-circuit broadcast, the sporting events, boxing, because I remember uh, my father, who was uh, uh, loved boxing and was a boxer, one of the things that we would do uh, as a kid, he would make me sit down and listen to the fight recap on the mutual broadcasting network, and they couldn't carry they couldn't carry it live, but but no. they could do they could do the round summary on the radio. So we didn't know what happened. We had to wait for the round to end, and then they could say, "Here's what happened. We think Ali did this. We think Fraser got this, won that round. Blah blah blah." And I'd sit there with him, and he was just. I mean, we wouldn't move. Uh, he couldn't wait to hear yeah. how it went. And then you worked, that well, was the radio you, side, but you worked the closed circuit side. Well, in, in your case, you almost have to think back to the you know 30s and 40s, you know, kind of pre-television. That's how people would listen to a baseball game. Uh, the closed circuit thing, 
uh, we would get territory. And uh, I can give you, if you've got the time, a completely insane story about that. Yes. Um, the uh, uh, My original first best man, a man named Lou, was uh, originally uh, uh, put, uh, how do you say it, uh, telephone lines, you know, highway lines, you know, systems together. And so uh, when with closed circuit, you eventually were, were receiving, sending up to satellites for signals, sending them back down to receiving dishes at different arenas and different theaters. And he, so his background is he was able to put together these massive networks. And he, we, we had originally met because we were doing a, a version, a bus and truck version of hair on the road, you know, just doing some different theaters around the Midwest. But we became pals. And like I say, eventually became for my first, uh, wedding my marriage he became our best man and he said i think i can get the territory for western canada for um uh, sugar ray against uh our our panamanian fighter uh, uh, roberto duran roberto duran yeah and uh he said you know we need two hundred thousand dollars can you can you find it and that would be from like winnipeg all the way through edmonton calgary Vancouver, all the smaller towns, Lethbridge and different places. And I said, well, I'll give it a try. And I called a friend of mine in Los Angeles and he said, I think I can. So he said, I've got the money. Let's, you know, can you, can you come out to Los Angeles and we'll meet in my office? And he was a CPA. And I said, well, look, I can't screw around. Whoever it is has to bring it. It has to, they have to uh, have the money in cash. I, I don't, I can't wonder whether a check is good, uh, you know, of course, would be ridiculous for that kind of that kind of money, uh, and then I'll I have to fly to uh, Toronto to secure the rights. Uh, anyway, there was myself, and my friend John Gorley, uh, a, a gal he had met the night before, and my friend Mike McGinley who secured the money. And I go to the office, and I'll 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 leave this guy's name as Andy because sometimes you wonder where the money comes from. He. Flips open his briefcase and there's two hundred thousand dollars in cash, which of course had never seen then, <laughs> and probably since. And uh, I said, "Okay, but I got to fly to Canada. I can't be flying in a plane with two hundred thousand dollars." And it was like nine thirty in the morning. We realized um, the banks were open, but if you if you got a cashier's check for more than Ten thousand dollars. You had to make in the whole, you know, IRS, you know, format. You know, filling out forms and where did this money come from? And his money was legit. He brought it in cash, which just stunned me. So my friend John went to a bank across the street, and and actually the gal that he had met, she went to a bank, and my friend Michael went to a bank. Well, there's three banks in the neighborhood. We were in, you know, the Hollywood area, Beverly Hills. And they came back with $9,500 cashier's checks. And I said, wow, how'd that go? And they said, well, everybody thought we did the pyramid scheme, uh, which was the rage then. You put $100 down and eventually get to the top of the pyramid and, and, and win a bunch of money. I said, well, I don't think they said, but we can't go back to that bank <laughs> or those three banks. So we eventually sent them out. And each trip would take an hour, or hour and a half, because they had to count the money. By the end of the day, I still had eighty thousand dollars in cash, 
and I had to get on the plane to Toronto. So I had my satchel and I was on the flight from Los Angeles, Toronto, and I got to Canadian Customs and they said, do you have anything to declare? And I said, well, I have some cash. And they said, what's that for? I said, well, it's for promoter of all of Canada for the Sugar Ray Roberto Duran fight. And he looked me in the eye and he opened my passport and he's stamped it and said, welcome to Canada. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, that's it. I'm not going to jail. I walked into $80,000. Anyway, dumb, but there you are. Yeah, (laughs) you survived. I, I want you to think about this for a second before I let you go. If you were to book three acts tomorrow, alive or not, I want you to think about who you as a promoter would bring in and promote. So think about that, Rand, for just a second, and I'll come back and give you a... And that'll be, it's a tough one. You're going to have to isolate a lot of bands having worked with some great ones, um, but it could be anybody on the map. I'm just curious who you, who you would book in your ultimate uh, concert. And so we'll talk about that in just a second. I do want to thank our folks at Minnesota Propane Association for clean, affordable, reliable energy, the things that all of us want for our homes and our businesses, and the one source of energy here in this state that can offer all these benefits is propane. It's clean, producing 43% fuel emissions and the equivalent amount of electricity generated from the U.S. grid. It's pretty impressive. It's reliable. It's energy stored on site and dependent of the grid as well. So propane can power your home or business anytime you need it. It's very affordable. According to our U.S. Department of Energy, propane costs approximately 30% less than electricity in the U.S. So the savings can be even higher right here in the state of Minnesota. And it's energy. Propane is a direct energy source used at your home or business. Unlike electricity, which is produced somewhere away from your home. By the time electricity gets to your home, 66% of the energy used to produce it is gone. It's lost. That's why propane is approximately three times more efficient than electricity. Propane, the right energy right now. For information, go to propane.com. and Find out what propane can do for you and the environment. Go to propane.com again. And our thanks to the Minnesota Propane Association. Okay, Rand, I know that you've mulled this over, and I'm going to guess it by the time you give me this answer later, you're going to say, nah, I should have said this or that, because you've worked with so many legends. But no, 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 no. What I was mulling over is how completely ground root and ridiculous rock and roll promotion was from the beginning. And as you're well aware, it's a highly sophisticated business. It's publicly traded, whether it's Live Nation or privately owned, whether it's AEG. And when I think back, I knew nothing about business except how to buy and sell souvenirs from for the Minnesota Twins or the Minnesota Gophers. And it it is a it is that memory of being able to be at the bottom rung of a ladder that just really flew to the moon um, or rose to the moon would be appropriate. So I want people when they think back at this to kind of know none of us knew what we were doing. We were just doing it. And day by day, you go, oh, okay, I have to get a contract for this. I have to actually figure this out. So that piece there. And I do have an answer for your your question. If you said, I want to do a show that's going to make a tremendous amount of money, be tremendously entertaining, uh, I'm going to put Taylor Swift at the top of the list. Yeah. Uh, she has... She has, she represents and has created an empire that is just 
spectacular. And coincidentally, last week I had a visit with her, her promoter, and he said, I don't know, man, she's just the same person inside and out. And that you can't ask for anything more than that. If you were saying, uh, hey, looking back, you know, what are the roots of something that you really, really loved and impacted me? I would, I would try to bring muddy waters back from the grave and, and, and get right down to that Chicago blues and bring him in a club and we'd sell out and uh, he'd let that mule kick in my stall, if you will. And, uh, uh, and then at a very personal level, uh, one of the great guitarists and a Minnesotan and an incredible sense of humor, uh, I would have Leo Kotke come over and we'd do a living room concert and uh, we'd laugh, and when it was done, uh, he'd ask for a triple corbassier, and <laughs> I'd ask for a wild turkey on the rocks, and we would visit some more. Yeah, that'd be a great show. I, his version of I'm the Man Who Almost Married Pretty Pamela Brown is still one of my favorites, the Kotke version yeah. of Tom, Tom T. Hall song. You know, and, it, and it's only a sign of, well, in my case, what a geezer I am, and in your case, how you've been around for more than two weeks, so we even know these things, but <laughs> there you go. Yes. Rana, great talking to you. We could go in a long, long time here. I really appreciate your time uh, on a busy day, I know, for you, but uh, so good to hear your voice. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, and if you ever need any more input, you know, there's another story behind the story behind the story. Nice visiting yeah. with you both. Take care. He is Rand Levy, a longtime veteran of the promotion industry. He mentioned the Glow Festival, which is on right now over at the St. Paul Saints Stadium, which where where I was not too long ago and bumped into Rand, as a matter of fact. So we appreciate him joining us here on the show. We thank our sponsors for making it all possible, and all the thanks to the folks at Aquarius Home Services, uh, providing the AquariusHomeServices.com studios, Minnesota Propane Association, UCARE, StarBank.net, and the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, and next week, uh, Mick Sterling will join us here on the show. And we'll say hi to him from you, Rand. Appreciate that. Davide, thank you very much. Davide Razo, our producer. Dave Lee here. We're back next week on My First Concert on Talk North, on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your downloads. Uh, download it right there and subscribe. I'd love to have you as a regular. My First Concert. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.